And welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. On today's episode, we have returning guest Michelle Hansen, author of The Ocean Oracle and Ocean Wisdom. To start us out today, I have a song by Arthur Hines, and I was going to tell you all what band he was from, but I just finished listening to Mojo and Sparrow over at the Wiggly and Way, and they're running a contest this month, and the question is, what band is Arthur Hines from? So I'm not going to spoil it. Mojo and Sparrow are going to be drawing a winner for their next episode, so if you haven't listened yet, head on over to the Wiggly and Way and get in on their contest. It's a great album. And this is from Arthur's solo project, Poetry of Wonder, and the song is called Pantheon. Osiris, Shiva, Hermes, Dionysus, Lu, Loki, Mars, 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 Osiris, Shiva, Hermes, Dionysus, Lu, Oh, 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 oh,
My wife Oceana and our roommate, she who shall not be named, have been friends since they were kids and were roommates long before I met Oceana. I consider myself very fortunate because when Oceana and I met, not only did I find a soulmate, but as an additional bonus, I found a sister. Well, our roommate has a gift. She is what we call a finder. She finds things, not just lost things, anything. When we go shopping, she comes across the neatest decorations for our home. She finds really great recipes to try. And usually a few times a month, I'll break into her computer and steal her favorites folder because she finds some of the greatest websites on the web. She's a finder and a reluctant finder. It bothers her a lot. And that's because Oceana and I use her to our advantage. An example, we lost track of a wedding invitation we received the other day. Oceana came into the living room and asked me if I'd seen the invitation, and of course I said no, because I have the attention span and memory of a gerbil. And then she said, well, I can't find it. And we both slowly turned to look at she who shall not be named. And she went, what? I didn't see it. I don't know where it is. And we just looked at her and smiled. After all, she's our finder. So after about a half hour of insisting she doesn't know where it is and telling us she's not a finder, she gets up and leaves the room. A couple minutes later, she comes back into the room, sets the lost invitation on the coffee table, and without a word, turns and walks away. She's a finder. Another example was last Sunday. We were sitting at our computers and watching the Food Network on TV and talking about what we were going to have for dinner. The show came on that featured fresh pretzels, and we all went... Ooh, pretzels sound good. So I said, all we have to do is find a good pretzel recipe. And my wife and I slowly turned and looked at she who shall not be named and smiled. And she said, what? And we said, you're our finder. And then she said, what do you think my name is, Google? I think she realized she said the wrong thing when my eyes lit up and a twisted little smile crossed my face. As I said, she's like a sister to me, and that statement falls under the rules of sibling rivalry. It was like a shaft of life came down from the heavens, and trumpets played, and a deep voice echoed and said, From this day forth you shall be known as. So anyway, Google just celebrated her 28th birthday for the umpteenth time Saturday. We had a wonderful barbecue with friends and family, and a good time was had by all. And Google is probably one of the sweetest, kindest people I know. And we were able to find some nice gifts for her for a change. But everyone has a gift, a talent, something to share. You may be able to teach. You may be a poet. You may be a musician, a builder, an artist, even a finder, or something totally different. Each of you have a unique way of seeing this world. Find out what your gifts are, and then use them, and share them. And for my sweet sister and spirit Google, happy birthday. It could be worse. I could have called you Yahoo.
one thing Gaia Consort with Evolve. Now, Michelle Hansen was our very first guest on my very first episode almost a year ago. Michelle and her husband Don came up for the Pagan Pride Day last month, 
and was able to stop by for breakfast that Sunday before heading back home. So we were able to do a follow-up interview and talk about a new class that she's offering. And today in the studio, I have returning guest Michelle Hansen, author of The Ocean Oracle, What Seashells Reveal About Our True Nature, and Ocean Wisdom, Lessons from the Seashell Kingdom. And welcome back. Thank you so much. It it was such an honor to be on your maiden voyage. Yep, you were on my very first episode. So tell us, what's been happening since the last time you were here? Well, I've had such an exciting new prospect because I was invited to do an apprentice teachership this year to see if I could teach online. And Mm -hmm. what excited me was the potential for reaching so many more people than having to travel and try and reach little venues here and there. I can now have students all over the world. And it's worked out beautifully because they use the Ocean Oracle and Ocean Wisdom as our workbooks. But it allows me to be there each week with the students so they have a week to process each lesson. And I can enhance what's in the books with other websites that are on the internet. In some cases, there are even videos that I can take them to so they can see the animals in action doing exactly what we had just studied. And there's also photo albums for every lesson. Because the books will show you the shells, the photo albums allow me to show you the animals. And it helps retain the information, enhance the information, because you don't just have to have the text as to why a certain shell means something, but you will have visuals. And it's so much easier when you're looking at the shells to say, oh yeah, I saw that animal doing that. And so my students have told me that that has really helped them in retaining the information. And my upperclassmen now, we're on week 33. Wow. So we started in January, and here it is, the end of August, and they're still hanging in there with me, so I'm very grateful. So do you take, let's say with the uh, uh, Ocean Oracle, do you take each of the cards one at a time then? I do, but you see, Ocean Oracle was designed, I can give you a little backstory. If you look at the shells in Ocean Oracle, there are four categories, Mm -hmm. and what I try to do with the categories is put them in alphabetical order. So although there are 200 shells, I go A to Z on each category. But when I'm teaching, I don't want to go in sequence alphabetically. I want to go by topic. So if I'm talking about, here's all the shells whose meanings come from the reproduction of the animal, I will be grabbing shells from all four categories. And I do that with every topic. And so that way, the students can have another way to look at Ocean Oracle where it makes much more sense. And you can retain the information because you can group. Well, here's all the ones that were due to reproduction. Here's all the ones that are due to the anatomy of their heart. Here's everything that was interaction with man just based on how they're used as medicine. There's another one based on the names of the shells. So that way, when the students are looking at the shells, it can remain in their minds easier than just if it had been based on alphabetical order, which seems kind of random. So uh, now you go by topics, and you go by what the animal does. Yes. So once you learn what each of the animals do, like if they're based on reproductive, based on what each of the animals do, how do you put those back into the separate categories? And how do you tie those together? Ah, okay. So how do you do a reading then? Yeah. Basically. Do you teach that on... on, on yeah, your... that's the point of the whole course. So it's mm-hmm. great that you would ask me that. What happens is 
I want to introduce the shells so people are meeting them as individual shells. Later in the course, what we start to do is see how these individuals interact with each other. And that is the very first steps of learning how to do shell readings, because you're looking at the relationship of the shells to each other. And what I love about being there each week is I can hold the students' hands and take them through the process of learning to be readers. And right now, the students have amazed me because I also do assign homework, but it's not until you're in about the 20th week of the course, because there really isn't too much to do for homework until you start to study the interactions. And that's when I love being able to have the students think about these without just spoon-feeding what the shells mean because I never want someone to just take my word for things. And even in class, what I will do consistently is pause along the line, make sure everyone's following, because I don't want to leave anyone behind. And then sort of throw questions out at them. If you know this shell means this, and you know this shell means that, if a client selected both shells, what would that tell you about the client? And I ask the students to write their answers, but not post, until mm -hmm. I give a signal. That way no one is influenced by anyone else's answers. And when I say, okay, what are your thoughts, and they post, it's amazing how similar their thoughts are. And I think that excites them to see they're all sort of on board, thinking the same way. And anyone who's thinking a little differently, when you only have two shells, that is a legitimate thought process. If you put those two shells and you have a reason for why you put them together, that's fine. So you might, you, so the one person who might have a different thought on the way might add to it as well because absolutely the other students say well I, why I didn't think of it this way and that's what I love they can all learn from each other and as we add more and more shells to a reading I will take um, hypothetical readings initially but eventually I will start to share readings that I've had with clients and just give them shell by shell and see what they make of the reading and then I can share well this person actually has this as a profession and they'll see it makes total sense from everything they've been saying about that person and so I think it makes them more comfortable with the whole idea of doing readings than thinking it's a scary prospect because they already are seeing that they've got a psychological handle on that person just by the shells that person selected. Right. When we first talked back last year when you were, when you were on my first episode, we talked about how there are 200 cards in the deck and how mm -hmm. someone, you know, there's a lot of people out there who taking, say, a, a tarot deck there's so many different interpretations, so many different ways to do it. They could be put off or, or scared to use. Here's something with 200 cards. If I can't, if I, if I can't, if I'm having a hard time reading 72 cards, how am I going to handle 200? Handle 200. So this actually helps a person along so that it is an easier process. Now, of course, it, yes. it does read a lot different than tarot because you do put the meanings and everything right on the backs, the backs of, the of the cards. So that's, that's good. And what I've found is, um, I thought it might discourage people if I told stories along the way. I thought a publisher once told me that people won't be able to relate to this because they'll think you're the only one that this can happen to. But because I've opened it up to the students, the students have started sharing their own stories, interacting with shells in their life. And so no one has to think this can only happen to Shelley. And that's my greatest joy when someone is, is there to share a story and it's the perfect shell for that sentiment that's going on. Um, and I've had that happen a couple of times where I've asked the students, can I incorporate this into the course now? So that in the future people can hear these stories as well. And they're happy that, you know, and almost honored that they, I would ask to have them 
have that be a part of the process. But that's my my whole goal is for people to learn to do shell readings, but also to see that we can look at the world a little differently. If a shell can reveal that much about you, what else is out there? And that's what I want the students to do is just have new eyes when they're looking at the world, maybe discover something on their own that then they come back and share and I benefit. Mm -hmm. We're all in it together. So whatever little bit that I can jumpstart, I never want people to just stay frozen at, here's what this shell means. It's a stepping stone to say the shell can have meanings. Here's what I've come up with. But if it's talking to you a little differently, if it takes you in a new direction, that's great. I credit now as my mentor, and only for the longest time I was afraid of her books, I thought this is like a ticking time bomb and I never want to read them, is Anne Murrow Lindbergh's book. It's called Gift from the Sea. Mm, okay. And I tell you, I must have had three or four people gift me with that book, not knowing I never wanted to open the cover. Mm-hmm. And after I had four of these, I felt like this book was stalking me. It just kept <laughs> showing up in my life. And I, I mean, these are dear friends who, from the deepest point of their heart, thought I would love this book. And I didn't have the guts to tell them, I'm afraid of this book. And I couldn't even tell you why until I had published Ocean Oracle and a friend was about to give me another copy of Gift from the Sea. And she said, you know, well, what do you think it is that you're afraid of? And I realized, well, if I read her book, either... It will influence me and change what I think these shells mean. Or even worse, what if we have nothing in common and all my work means nothing to me anymore? And I just didn't want to take that risk. So I never, ever looked at her work. And my friend said, well, I think you're pretty much on record now. If you've got this book, what you think it means, so it's safe to look. Mm -hmm. And I looked and it was my worst nightmare. She had shells that were the same shells I did with different meanings or a meaning that she would pick a different shell for. And I thought, this can't be right. Why would the universe, I believe in a magical universe, why would it be stalking me all this time to just pull the rug right out from under me? And finally I understood the lesson. And the lesson is, in the 1950s when she wrote this book, she was paving the way for people to have the mindset that the shells can be teachers. Because they worked for her. They definitely brought so much value. As I said, I believe in a magical universe, and it just didn't seem like this book should be stalking me the way it had. In fact, I will tell you one other thing. When I was up to four copies of this book, someone came to my house and, in the course of the conversation, mentioned she had never read Gift from the Sea. I ran upstairs, grabbed one of mine, brought it down, and gave it to her. Mm-hmm. Happy to have that burden lifted, like there's one less in the house. <laughs> and... It lasted all of one day. The next day, in my mailbox, isn't there another copy from Canada of Gift from the Sea? Wow. So it was trying to get my attention, trying so hard. So Anne Morrow wrote this book in the 1950s. And what I realized was she only had one beach that she was working from. I have shells from all over the world. That's why I could have such different shells than the ones that she writes about. But in addition to that, she had paved the way for people to consider the possibility that shells can be teachers, that shells can assist us in navigating through life. And that is what I felt was so important about these books, is that it was almost like she was my partner saying, here's the first stepping stone, now you take this and take it to the next level. Once I felt that burden lift, that that was her purpose, to just sort of pave this path for someone else to take it to another level, I could completely relax and 
Sure enough, I did get another copy of Gift from the Sea. But when that book showed up the next time, which was, I think, my fifth copy, I could embrace it. I could read it from cover to cover and be very happy because I knew it was just Anne Murrow saying, yes, this is a continuation of my work. And that's how I feel. When people read Ocean Oracle, I don't want that to freeze them in time and say, from now on, this shell means this. I want them to use that as a stepping stone and take it to the next level. And that's what happened to me because Ocean Wisdom, I never expected to write Ocean Wisdom, but that's an outgrowth of the shells just keep teaching. And so I had to bring the newest information out. And I believe that that's only going to last for so long and there'll be new information beyond that. But that was, to me, a very telling thing so that I want my students, when they're in class, to be able to play with the meanings a little bit if they're speaking to them a little differently. And I will never say that their answer is wrong as long as they have a reason for it. Mm-hmm. And so... I get to be there. I mean, I have a, a student who's in Switzerland, and we meet at 9 o'clock Eastern time right now on Thursday night. The class that I'm um, holding right now is on Thursdays. And the student in Switzerland has to set her alarm clock for something like 5 a.m. Wow. in order to be in class at what for me is 9 p.m. Eastern. And hmm. every time I see her name in class, I'm honored that you know she would make that effort. So the students are from all over the world, and depending on whatever time 9 p.m. shows up in their time, their you know space, space in the world, that's the time that they come online. But I am available after class. What happens is I post our transcript from our class. It includes the information from class, not the student exchanges, just the information, because sort of what happens in class stays in class. That's a confidential area because there are deep psychological. Um, conversations that take place between the students and myself. Mm-hmm. And that's personal. But the general information, I'm happy to share that in the transcript format. And within the transcript, you will find in orange, just so it would stand out, what photos we discussed from the album. And so it's easy for someone to read the transcript and select the proper photos. I can prepare the foundation and then you go to look at the photo and it'll have so much more meaning if you've had that foundation presented. And also your websites and your videos are all in the transcript. And then if anyone has any questions after they've read that transcript, if they weren't in class, they're welcome to contact me. And we can have um, personal instruction as well. Now, how many students do you have per class usually? It usually is around a dozen to 15. Um, 20 sign up, but then there's always conflicts for different people on a given night. So I'd say 12 to 15 show up in the class. And at first I thought, ooh, that may be a small number, but it turns out because we're doing so much interaction, that's perfect. Because if I'm saying, okay, everybody, write your ideas, now post, and you've got to read 12 or 15 possible responses, that's just about all you want for that night because the class is supposed to be an hour long. I usually do run over, I will admit. But to try and keep it in that time frame and have students interacting, you don't want the numbers to be too much beyond that. And... It's funny because I my next freshman class is starting in September, and I did put it out to my upperclassmen if they had missed any classes. You know, if they would like to, they're welcome to attend the next classes that are starting in September. And five students signed up immediately, and, and I was afraid they'd be bored because I'm just covering the same material that they had 30 weeks ago now, but it will be the same material, just with new people. And they said, no, it just helps it sink in. And the stories 
that I was reluctant to tell, that's their favorite part. Because that's what helps them retain the information the most. That makes sense. And, and so that's great for me because there's so many stories that I could share, but I always thought nobody wants to hear this. And it turns out that's exactly what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And then, as I said, it's a perfect platform because they're welcome to tell their stories as well. Nice. So now your new classes are starting in September. Yes, they're going to be on Tuesdays. So the upperclassmen are on Thursdays and we've got to finish up. We have till the end of the year to finish up. It's a year course. Um, but I do have time on Tuesday to take on another class. So I'm going to start the freshman September 23rd, which is a Tuesday night. And, and it'll be every week. And they can find out the sign-up information and the details for that on your website? Yes. Um, it's www.oceanoracle.com. And when you look at the bottom where all the links are on my website, you will see one that says Student Program, and that contains all the details. For anyone who's interested... They could refer back to episode one and get details about Ocean Oracle and Ocean Wisdom. Well, I want to thank you for coming back in today and for sharing that. And um, we look forward to seeing what else comes down the road and for the classes. And thank you again. I thank you very much.
And that was Laura Powers with Morgan's Quest. And I want to give a shout-out to all my fellow Podkin out there in Patio Land. And a special shout-out to several new podcasts. Moonshine with Tegan, Catnip Brew with Fortuna and Fluffy, and Get Witchified with Oceana. Welcome to the neighborhood. And you can find links to them on my website, www.paganheartinmaine.com, at the Podcast for the Pagan Heart link at the top of the page. I've been reworking the website a little bit and changing it up a bit, and yet I would say definitely check out the Pagan Podcast link. I just updated it this week, and I'm going to keep it updated more often now. I currently have 24 great podcasts listed there, as sort of a one-stop shopping for your pagan podcasting needs. Each one is linked to their websites, and I also included an iTunes link for each, and a Podcast Alley voting link for each of them. Now I want to ask all of you out there, if there's a podcast that you listen to that isn't listed here but should be listed, please write me and let me know. And you can write me at greywolf, G-R-E-Y-W-O-L-F, at paganheartandmain.com. Or you can find me over at MySpace or on paganspace.net.
And that was Blackmore's Night from their new album, Secret Voyage, called Locked Within the Crystal Ball. Well, I'm going to call this episode 18, and all of the music on A Pagan Heart is used with permission from the artist. And I just wanted to say, too, if you're a musician or a poet, and you would like to share your songs or poems with this listening audience, I'd love to hear from you. And on that note, I want to close out today's episode with a song that a listener sent me. Andrew Bacco is a digital and traditional graphic artist in Michigan and plays in a local band called The Time Machine. He wrote me a couple weeks ago saying he really enjoyed the show, and he also sent me a song which he wrote and cut the tracks for. It has a nice, easy-listening, 70s-style feel to it, and I thought you all might enjoy it as well. So here's Andrew Bacco with Fall Winds. Until next time, great blessings. The pumpkin patch. Yeah.